Well, we have been working through a series about relationships, and uh, oftentimes I think learning from some, some not-so-great examples of relationships, which somewhat, I think, does teach us quite a bit. Uh, you see the, the perfect model, and it feels unattainable, but it's nice to, to see reality in another relationship and see yourself in that and, and try to work with that. And so we've been walking through uh, a lot of Old Testament texts. We walked through the prophet Hosea, uh, who had, uh, let's say, a relationship that failed, and a relationship that he thought God called him into, and yet it failed, and, and he struggled in the midst of that. And we also looked at uh, King David and Michael and the family dramas and, and the challenges of the pressures and, and, and this kind of jealousy and, and their struggles. And last week we talked about Isaac and Rebecca and uh, the kind of pressure from the family about their you know, having to fulfill the promise, you know, I, I'm supposed to have all these kids, you know, and, and their difficulty living up to that relationship. And so uh, we walk today, though, into the New Testament. We walk into the letters of Paul, and Paul has quite a bit to say about a lot of things, and he has a lot to say about relationships today. Uh, if you really just kind of start 1 Corinthians 6, in the middle of it, around verse 12, all the way through chapter 7, you get a ton of stuff on relationships. And so I'm just going to read a little sample for us to get started, uh, but we will have much more to say. Um, but it is a very intriguing passage, which I think will, uh, will, will create some room for growth, for room for thinking about this text throughout the week, um, as you kind of sit with this story. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 7. I'm going to start in verse 1, and then I'm going to jump into a couple spots for you. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is well for a man not to touch a woman. But because of the cases of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. It goes on. I wish that all were as myself am, but each has their own particular gift from God one having one kind and another having a different kind. And so to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is well for them to remain unmarried as I am. But if they are not practicing self-control, then they should marry. For it is better to marry than to be aflame with passion. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does separate, let her remain un unmarried or be reconciled, and that the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I am not the Lord, that if any believer has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. And if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbeliever and husband is made holy through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy through her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy." But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such a case, the brother or sister is not bound. It is peace that God has called you. Uh, another little spot for you. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man anxious, is anxious about the affairs of the Lord, but how to please the Lord. But the married is anxious about the affairs of the world and how to please his spouse. And his interests are divided. I say this to you for your own benefit, not to put any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and unhindered devotion to the Lord. All right, I'm going to stop here. Uh, uh, I try to just give you a little sampling of some of the taste of this text. 
Um, but it is filled with a lot of jumping around to different issues about marriage. And I'm going to say that the dilemma for us, or the strange thing of this text, the oddity of this text, is it seems like Paul in this text is saying marriage is like a concession. It's like, if you've got to get married, okay. But it's not the best route forward. And that's interesting. Um, it's interesting not because of just like wherever we are in our own relationship statuses, but it's interesting because the biblical tradition is not one that traditionally stresses this angle. Paul is a little unique in coming at this story in this way. Uh, usually we, we see things like, you know, you go to the Garden of Eden and stories of Adam and Eve and, and uh, Adam being alone and finding a partner. And, and that's the kind of stories we're used to. We're used to, uh, like Paul and other texts saying, what's a good What's a good deacon? What's a good bishop? Well, it's uh, you know, a husband of one wife, and, and you see all this marriage stuff. And then we get to this story, and it's kind of strange that Paul's just like, yeah, if you cannot marry, that would be better. And uh, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, and he has a lot to say on it. And so I thought it would be meaningful for us to walk through this. But before we walk through it, I want us to see the situation in which he's talking because this is one of the things that gets difficult for us. We read a letter of Paul. We're overhearing his conversation to somebody that he already has a relationship with, that already has talked to him before. And we get one side of this conversation, and it can be easy to misinterpret or to, you know, to, to go astray from maybe what even Paul was trying to do with it. But in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7, he quotes two different groups, it seems like. He quotes uh, in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, he says, all things are lawful for me. And uh, you, maybe in your own translations that you're used to, maybe you've heard it like all things are permissible or some sort of version of that statement. And if you know that verse, it follows with, but not everything is beneficial. And so he quotes this kind of saying that, well, everything's lawful. Everything's free reign. And he's responding to people who say, well, if God is gracious, if everything uh, is covered over with God's grace. It doesn't matter what sin you've done. Well, then it doesn't matter about what sin you've done. So just do whatever. All things are lawful. And so there's a mentality that is created that's like, well, just don't care about um, anything about how to live in the world because everything's okay. And so you get into some weird, weird stuff happening in the church of Corinth. And so Paul has to write into it and say, hey, well, everything's not beneficial. Like Some things are going to hurt people. Some things are not going to build people up. Some things are going to tear down. And so, yeah, you could say, well, everything is permissible now or something like that, but you're missing the point. Um, so it's not just free reign. There, there is some things that are beneficial or some things that are not. But he's not just talking to that group. In the story uh, where I started reading, in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote... It is well for a man not to touch a woman. So he's talking to the church in Corinth, and they have written to him and said, it is well for a man not to touch a woman. So you could say, everything is free reign. Do whatever you want. You could also say, don't do anything. Like uh, that, that relationships and, and, and sex and all sorts of like whatever you put around the relationships, that all of that is just, let's stay away from everything. Like, let's be super pure, super holy, cut off from everybody. Let's just be that route. And so Paul's dealing with groups on both ends of like just everything goes, and some people are like nothing goes. 
And so if you've ever had to try to talk into the midst of divided discussions, divided perspectives, you are trying to figure out how to walk a tightrope where you're talking to both groups, where you're inviting both groups into where God might lead them. And so just know that that's a factor of what's happening in this story is he's trying to talk to two very different groups about where is God in the midst of relationships. And so I, I led with the kind of thing that strikes us as a little bit strange because um, it's not as common of a viewpoint in Scripture, which Paul has as just singleness is just better than marriage. Not that singleness is great and is perfectly wonderful, but like let's compare the two and say one is better than the other. And we know that depending on your church tradition, some traditions have said one thing is better than the other, whether it's singleness or marriage. And I know friends who have tried to get ministry jobs and they were single and the church was like, well, we kind of want a married couple for who we're going to hire. And somehow them being single was, was a detriment to the situation. You can all think of plenty of religious traditions in which being married excludes you from being uh, a minister in that church environment. And so sometimes we experience where people do have uh, make the comparisons and make statements about which is better than the other, but we don't often hear somebody like Paul say uh, that, here to quote verse 38, he who marries his fiance does well, but he who refrains from marriage will do better. And so he's talking about the situation, all right, if you're engaged, what's my advice to you right now? Well, if you can't control yourself, go ahead and get married. It's fine. It's good. But if you can hold off and just not get married, that's the better route. And so this is the first kind of unusual thing that we experience in this text, that, um, that singleness is better than marriage. And I point out this, it is at least a tradition corrective to times where marriage has been stressed so much to the detriment of seeing how singleness can be uh, of great value. Because when we, when we read texts like Adam and Eve, we then say that that story governs everybody, that everybody should look like that story. Everybody uh, by themselves would be lonely and they need this partner, but that's not everybody's story. And so at least here we might be getting a sense that Paul's doing something a little bit different, even if it's unexpected. And, and so Paul says, okay, so, well, I'm going to tell you that singleness is better but it's not for everybody. And so he talks about, well, I wish everybody would be like me, which is an interesting strategy. Uh, trust me, in the ancient world, this worked better. People would say, hey, I'm the model of this. Live me out. I think in today's culture, we're much better at saying, like, hey, I'm going to mess it up. Please don't use me as an example. I'm going to tell you what it can be, but like, we all fail. Well, hey, I wish you could be like me. But not everybody has the same gift. And so he's like, hey, I, I get it. Some people have certain callings, some people have certain gifts, and this isn't for everybody. And so uh, he acknowledges that and says that that's okay. Um, but again, what's the better thing for him? Now, he has some reasons why he's going to say that singleness for him is better than being in a relationship. And so he has a few reasons. One of them is, he suggests that marriage distracts you from God. So that's his kind of big quote. Uh, I'll read verse 32 through 34 so we can see that at play. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. 
The unmarried man is anxious about the affairs of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about the affairs of the world, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And it then does the exact same thing in reverse, the unmarried woman, the married woman, affairs of the Lord, affairs of their spouse. Um, One thing about this passage is maybe you've experienced that it's not always the case. Uh, anyone, whether maybe if you're married now, at point at some point when you were single, or if you're single now, like everybody feel like, oh yeah, my focus is always perfectly on the Lord. Just because I'm single, oh, I've, I've got perfect focus. Um, it's not like on my job or on my friend or family member or on my my career, my money, my house, my sports fans and fandom. You know, it's just like we have distractions, and it is. And he's kind of a little bit. Um, you know, he's hopeful that if you're single, your focus can be fully on God. But then he says, but if you're married, your focus becomes on your spouse, and you're, you're, you're trying to please your spouse instead of God. And for those who are married, maybe you know that that's also not always the case. You know, uh, any spouse ever felt like they were ignored, felt like they didn't get the attention or the focus? Hey, Live up to Paul's thing here. Hey, I want to be pleased. I want the focus, right? Um, But we're distracted, all sorts of people, whether you're married or single. Um, But his vantage point here is to say, if if you're single, you can devote yourself, your your, your situation all to God, and you're not distracted by um, other relationships around you that that require time and energy. And, And so he says in a lot of ways, he's like, I want you to know that I'm telling you this teaching because I don't want you to to struggle, and you're going to go through pains, and you're going to you're going to have uh, some difficulties. So I wish you could be like me. But uh, it's not just about distractions that he talks about uh, the better or worse for him about singleness or relationships. Um, He talks a lot about control in this passage. Basically, if you want the simple summary of this, if you can't control yourself, get married. Uh, And I don't know, it feels like you're talking to a youth group uh, in this passage, where they're like, what can I do? What am I allowed to get away with? What's, what's God going to be upset with me about or something like that? And Paul's like going through all these categories and talking about all these things. And he basically keeps coming back to, if you can't control yourself, just don't be like burning up with passion. Just go ahead and commit. Just get married. Just, it's, it's fine. It'll be okay. Just, just go ahead and get married. And that's like his kind of refrain throughout. If you're in all these situations, you can't control yourself, just get married. It's not the best way to understand marriage all on its own. Um, that it's just like a lack of control. Therefore, that's why you're married. If you want to say, oh, tell me your, how did you get together? You know, tell me about your marriage, about your life story. How did you stay together all these years? Well, I just couldn't control myself. Like that, that <laughs> it's not the most romantic uh, in the sense of like the fullness of relationships. Uh, it's very focused on the one side of it. Um, But it's not like Paul makes this excuse in other situations. He doesn't say, well, if you have problems with money and you can't control it, then just, like, I don't know, like whatever might appease that passion. Um, But here in this situation, this is his practical advice. And like, you can't control yourself. Why don't you just go ahead and commit to it? Just lean in instead of like teetering on the fence, just just become uh, one together and just lean into it. And that's a good thing. Just, Just go that route. Um, but he's really focused on, like, how can you control yourself or not? 
Uh, and, and that's part of why he talks about, okay, fine, a concession. If you will need to get married, if you have to get married, uh, then okay. Now, he's pretty serious, though, once you get into the relationship. When you get into the relationship, when he's like, all right, lean into just getting married, then it's very serious. Okay, again, you don't belong to yourself anymore. Like, you've committed to, to giving up a part of yourself that you belong to the, each other. And he makes this kind of parallel to God about if you're married to God, so to speak, of like, you don't, you know, you're not your own. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, you belong to God. And in a similar way for him, when you get married, you belong to each other. And so you're not your own. And a few verses of just him talking like this. Um, and this might sound a little bit strange on some of our ears, but for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Like you can get into some, some ugliness if that gets lived out in some, in some ugly ways in which humans tend to uh, struggle. But, but he's saying there's something about becoming one that's giving up a little bit of yourself to being a part of the other person. And you're not just your own island anymore. And you've got to commit to the other and so if you're going to go this route and get married, know that you, you belong to each other now. This passage takes a little bit of a different turn. Again, if you, if you get, fine, if you got married, you commit to one another. But then it also deals with all sorts of the weird oddities of, okay, well, not everybody who's married is the same faith. What do I do then? Okay, if, I've, if we've leaned in, we're not, we don't belong to ourselves, we belong to each other. What happens when we don't believe the same way? What happens when we, there's this difficulty around religion? And Paul's thing is like, okay, if, if the other person's fine with it, wonderful. Just stay together. That's great. It's wonderful. But if they can't handle your religion and they want to leave you, be at peace. And I feel like that's like a little small nugget of something that's like, really kind of a beautiful thing in the midst of uglinesses of human relationships, of Paul being like, hey, if somebody is leaving you because they can't stand your faith, like, don't feel devastated about yourself. Like, God is with you. Be at peace. It's okay. Um, but there's also the flip side, which might hit us a little bit weird as you hear about it. Um, it talks about somehow bringing faith to your family, that somehow... If you just live in this relationship, maybe somehow your faith might affect the other person. Maybe your faith might be a part of the salvation to your spouse who's not believing. Uh, and, and then it gives us this one little line about children, uh, which is uh, so intriguing. I want to make sure to read you the verse because it's, uh, you might not, might not always expect it. Verse 12 through 16. Um, <clears throat> it says... Uh, for the unbelieving husband is made holy through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy through her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. And this is one of my favorite examples of something. If you talk about any church tradition and what they do around children, it's almost always about pastoral care of parents. So does your tradition baptize babies, or do they do um, you know, ceremonies where we dedicate babies? Do we do confession, like, a, like confirmations later on in life? No matter what it is, it's all around, I'm raising up my kid. How do I know that they're a part of God's family? And the pastoral word is, they're holy. 
Just rest in that. Even when you're not sure if you, like, man, the, the, the married couple, they can't agree on their faith. Paul's word into the midst of that was, otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. So he acknowledges you might have that fear, that, that confusion, but his word is a word of peace. That in the midst of that uncertainty, there's holiness. And so for him, you couldn't control yourself. You got married. You belonged to each other. Maybe it doesn't always work super well, but, but in the midst of it, maybe God's at work in your family life and in your kids. Uh, and, and whatever it is, um, just lean into that then. That's the trajectory for relationships for you. But Paul will back it out and say again, but I really mean it. Whatever you are right now, it would be better just to stay that way. If you're single, if you're married, if you're widowed, whatever your situation is like, hey, don't worry about that stuff. Now, this gets us to the strange part of this, of what do we do with this today. Uh, he tells us this because he says, because Jesus is coming back any day, basically is his answer. Why stay single? Why stay married? Why stay widowed? Whatever your situation I don't want you to be stressed out because things are about to get worse. And I want you to find comfort in God and, and in following God. And so it, it says in verse 20, let each of you remain in the condition in which you were called. And why? Brothers and sisters, the appointed time has grown short. From now on, let even those who have wives be as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no possessions, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. So Paul's trying to have all this relationship talk, and he's like, hey, in the end, there's some bigger things happening right now. And that dictates the whole discussion. From the whole vantage point, why tell people it's better just don't, have, don't get married? Like, why, why are you going to now have kids? Or why, like, Jesus is about to come back. And so that's his whole teaching is wrapped up around trying to say, we don't, we don't need to figure out how we sustain the church for the next 2,000 years. We need to know how we make the most impact for right now because Christ is coming at any moment. And so, like, Paul's teaching here is not exactly, like, the best thing for, like, um, you know, keeping population sizes to a certain number or anything. It's just how do we hold on for this brief time where things are, are falling apart because something new is replacing it. And I think that's worth considering, worth chewing on, of like, okay, when I listen to this advice from Paul, how do I make sense of it in light of the fact he thinks the world is about to end that moment? And that's why he's teaching things this way. Another thing to hold in mind. So you might have heard some things that you're like, I love this advice, I want this advice for me. You might have heard some things like, that's not for me at all, I don't know what to do with it. Here's some weird relief for you. Paul, throughout this chapter, keeps saying, you know, I'm talking here, not God. Over and over again. This is my opinion, not the Lord's. In so many spots, hey, this is me talking, it's my opinion here, not God's opinion. And for us, that's really confusing because we put a nice cover around it, right? We've called it Scripture. We've called it God's Word, in which Paul says, hey, this is just me talking. So what do I do with the fact that Paul just said, hey, 
I'm really kind of out on a limb here. And for anybody cynical about the fact that, you know, he, he's not married and he's trying to give married couples advice. And, you know, and, you know he's, hey, I know. This is just for you from me. Hear what I'm saying. I don't want to put a burden on you. He says, I don't want to restrain you. What I want is for you to have life. I want you to have hope. Uh, and so hear me in that vein. But here's a person wrestling just like we are, wrestling with what do I do with this relationship? What's the best decision for me in this relationship? What's the best decision for me in my life? And Paul's also saying, yeah, there's not an easy, simple, divine rule of exactly how that looks for you. It's going to look different for each person. Each person has their own gift. Each person has their own calling. And so uh, I love in his language of uh, verse 17, he says, He's been talking for a moment, and he says, however that may be, lead the life that the Lord has assigned for you. So here, give, I'm going to give you the best advice I have, but yet, whatever God has called you to, whatever God has gifted you with, live that well. Take what you need to hear out of this, you know. And so, it's a beautiful thing that he at least is acknowledging there's a lot of different journeys, there's a lot of different relationships, and there's a lot of different people's responses to the same kind of life situations. You know, if, um, to, to lose a spouse is so painful for, for some who remain uh, widowed, for some who remarry, that whatever God has called you to, lead the life that God has called you to. Be at peace with the Lord. You know, and so Paul's able to say that there's different roads. Christianity doesn't have just one vision of what it looks like to be a person in the world. And I also appreciate it might be taken for granted that Paul's super accommodating here. I mean, I'm sure we all have seen people who um, maybe behind someone's backs, people kind of mutter about their life situation or what's going on with this relationship. And so many people might bring shame into things and bring judgment and like talk down about people or whatever it is. And Paul throughout it, he kept saying, hey, if you're in that situation, hey, why don't you just go ahead and get married? Not bashing them, not being like, oh, you couldn't control yourself, you're such an awful person, or whatever. Like, none of this shaming, it's all about, hey, I just want you to have the best life ahead. And uh, if, if, you, if you need to get married, go get married. It's great. And so Paul does have quite an accommodating word in the midst of whatever situations that we might be in. And Paul also... Uh, I think does have a beautiful thing that we do need to hold up. And I don't think he teases this out as explicitly as I would love to see it. But in the 1 Corinthians 6 especially, he talks about the body of Christ and being united to the Lord and united to each other. And I think there is something powerful that Paul is saying. You don't, you're not alone in the world based on your marriage status. Like, you have a community. The church is your family. That you are in this together. You are in it with God. You're in it with with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so when Paul quotes Genesis to talk about what marriage looks like, he doesn't then quote Genesis to say that you're alone if you're not in that. And so there is a beautiful image of an invitation of that the church is a place in which people are connected. They are a community, regardless of marital statuses and regardless of that. And beyond the church, that families. Uh, when you're even in a family unit where you feel like you're divided, you don't feel like you agree on things, that God's in the midst of that too. So you might feel alone, and yet you're not alone. 
that there's peace and love. And so I, I think it's interesting that when we think about Paul and love, you might actually go to 1 Corinthians. You're probably not going to 1 Corinthians 7, though. You're most often going to love is patient, love is kind. You know, and you go into the whole love chapter. And so that's where we feel like, okay, if you want Paul and relationship stuff, go to the love chapter. But what's beautiful is the love chapter isn't actually just about married couples or anything like that. The love chapter is about a church community who's struggling to figure out how to love each other. It's about a, a community who's struggling how to heal divisions. You've got some people saying everything is permissible, and some people saying, hey, don't do anything. Stay away from everything. Like, how do you love in the midst of broken relationships beyond just marriage-type relationships? And so I think about this text, and I hope, what I, I hope for you that wherever you're at, you hear that God can work in the midst of that relationship, in the midst of, of whatever relationships are for you. It doesn't have to be married-type relationships. You've got uh, friendships, you've got uh, f- family, like parent relationships, kid relationships, or whatever the relationship is that's dear to you. God can use that relationship. God can move through you. God can speak through you. That there's peace and hope. Uh, I also hope that maybe we uh, think twice. And I think about, like, Paul giving his opinion here. Maybe just don't compare people too much, right? Like, I think that's the hardest part of this for me, of like, okay, how do I make sense of him saying something's better than the other thing? Uh, and so that comparison game always gets us into trouble. And so I, w- I would be wary. If you want my uh, I speaking, not the Lord, <laughs> I would be wary of, of those comparison games. Um, because we tend to end up lifting our own self up, usually, on those comparison games. Uh, it's easy to, to lower the other person. And so uh, I want us to just rest in this text. And I can't help but, um, wasn't really going this direction, but uh, I can't help but think about how real relationships are, whether it's spouses or other relationships. Um, but what hit me this last week was watching a lot of cell phone videos of families being torn apart. Um, you know, when Paul talks about the distress that you might have at the end of the world, a new world coming, um, how difficult it is to watch videos of uh, husbands of dads telling their kids goodbye, kissing them goodbye and letting the kids go to another country to try to survive. You're being handed a weapon. You might not know how to use the weapon, but you're trying to protect your, your home while your family is going on. And I think about all of the, uh, the painful situations that are placed on people around the world. Uh, and so I think we should spend time in our, our week praying for those whose, whose family lives and relationships are not as simple or as easy. Uh, things that we take for granted about Safety, food, shelter, all, all of that. Um, and so maybe like Paul, we should start hungering a little bit more for that new world to come. There's the, the cynical side of us that says, well, you know, Paul was kind of wrong. He thought Christ was coming back any day. And it's been 2,000 years. So 
But maybe we shouldn't have this vantage point about thinking about the new world to come. But maybe we do. Maybe we should have some hope for a new world to come. And so maybe when there's conflict in the world and struggles and pains, maybe that might remind us that that we should care a little bit about that we don't want this world to be preserved. We want something new to emerge. Uh, where all people have the chance to live out God's calling in their life freely, safely, where we might be able to raise families, uh, have friendships, and not worry about uh, violence, corruption, greed. So maybe we can long like the prophet Micah for that time when all the swords get turned into plowshares and, hey, what's, what's the use for this anymore? Make it into something beautiful. So I hope that uh, as we close today, that you just rest in God's embrace for a moment. That no matter what's going on in your life, God loves you. You can run to God. And let's cling to a God who we proclaim can save, who can make a way, who can make peace, uh, even when we can't see it. So we'll just join with Paul in, in longing for that new world to emerge. Would you pray with me as we just speak to God? Lord, we come before you. Um, I know with very different uh, struggles, different obstacles that are in each of our lives, uh, there are some of us who uh, have, our bodies seem to be failing us, an injury, a sickness. Uh, Lord, we ask for your life to, to breathe into us, to give us the energy, to give us the strength, to give us the power. Lord, for, uh, for many of us, we care deeply about people who are struggling, uh, whether that's with health or finances or opportunity. Lord, help us to be better friends, to be better spouses, to be better siblings, to be better at lifting each other up. Lord, I ask that you would help us to find not just, a, not just passions that we're figuring out how to control of ourselves, but passions for your will and, and your life, no matter our life circumstance. Lord, we pray for your wisdom in a world that often feels uh, like truth is, is difficult to hold on to where confusion reigns. Lord, we know that it's truly you who reign. Uh, let your wisdom come down. Let it guide us. Let it knock down the, the walls of oppression, the walls of injustice. Lord, be with our spirits. Help us to love even when it is difficult, even when it is unpleasant at times. Let us cling to you. In your name that we pray. Amen.